Welcome to the State of the Markets podcast. This week, Tim and I speak to Benjamin J. Butler. Benjamin is a very unique global futurist, having spent his entire career harnessing his imagination to see the unseen. He spent a career on Wall Street and global finance and was a highly prescient forecaster of the future. Wait, so you're, you're, we're speaking to you, you're, you're currently in Mexico, yeah? I am still in Mexico, yeah. Indeed. And is that is that is that a is that a basically a permanent permanent situation for you now? So why am I? Uh, I, I guess that's the first question. Why am I in Mexico? Um, um, I actually don't know whether it's permanent. Um, part of the part of the reason I'm here is because of the madness of. But you're not you're not there on holidays. Is the point? It's it's it's, it's more permanent than a, than a, a brief vacation. Yeah, basically, I, I jumped on a. I was looking at a world map and back in February uh, at Seoul Incheon Airport. I had some friends, um, business partners who were all uh, going to meet in Tulum, and uh, I was looking around at the world, trying to figure out where would be a, a good place to hide for a while. And um, stars aligned here. Could you remind uh, Could you remind our listeners what you do? Yes. Um, so, um, well, in a former life, I was in finan- financial markets full time. Uh, everything from being a stockbroker to an investor to being a venture capitalist. Um, also writing at Dow Theory Letters for a few years. And um, I used that training ground to prepare myself to be a, what's called a futurist. And so in pre-COVID times, I would go around the world giving a lot of talks about, A, where is the world heading and, and sort of bringing together the different mega trends to try and paint a picture of the future. And then give, give um, people some, um, I, I guess, um, some tools to deal with the uncertainty of the future. And would you would you describe futurism as predict attempting to predict what will happen, or sort of blue skying a range of possibilities of potential outcomes that could plausibly happen? Yeah, they. Um, I, I I think at the, you know, when the field sort of started under H. G. Wells, that is famous talk in um at the royal institution institution in mayfair i think it was 1903 because the, the book is things to come isn't it yeah that um that was one of the books yeah the first talk he gave was called discovery of the future um and and then yeah the field at first was quite predictive and a lot of stuff was coming out of the u.s military like the rand corporation in uh, santa monica um but there was a lot of scenario work, and of course, in the military, you need to look at um, plausible scenarios. Maybe you assign um, possibilities, prob- probabilities to those outcomes. In a way, and it's not too dissimilar to the mindset to to be a good investor. Um, but now nowadays, a lot of futurists don't like the idea of trying to forecast the future they they feel their job is to sort of paint the possibilities but really focus on the preferable outcomes or desirable futures 
And as part of those um, talks that you gave, was obviously uh, the big question would be, was a pandemic included in, in one of the scenarios? Um, well, funnily enough... Um, or a confected pandemic, more to, more to the case. Yeah. Um, I mean, a, a pandemic in the early 2020s was not a particularly low probability event. I mean, it was fairly obvious that in any analysis of the future that we were going to have pandemic pandemics. Um, um, but the reaction to the, the, this pandemic is obviously way more extreme. But I mean, we quite a few, quite a few of us were expecting a major event in 2020. Um, and probably even said it on the last podcast, we we were looking at the world starting, particularly Western world, to start breaking down from 2015 to 2020. And that uh, we would go, the planet would go through a very intense breakdown period from 2020 to 2025. So we're still in that ballpark range. And, and funnily enough, you know, my, my analysis came from my own empirical analysis and, uh, combined with using the imagination and looking at patterns and past cycles but I mean what's absolutely incredible is those that are, those of us that approached it in this way we also have very similar timelines to the prophecies of many world religions and um, shaman in the Amazon <laughs> it's quite incredible you know the Mayans are the famous you know the Mayan calendar that that um, had a shift of epoch back in um, the end of 2012. They they were forecasting, and I spoke to a Mayan researcher recently because I was visiting all these pyramids here in the Yucatan Peninsula, and then I went down into Guatemala. And um, I ended up um, speaking to um, yeah this Mayan researcher, and she said there was their their timeline was for. A a breakdown in civilization up until the year 2026. So it was 20, 2013 to 2026 was a, a window of massive transformation on the planet. So to, to go back to one of the questions we've asked effectively every guest on the podcast for the last 12 months and counting, um, cock-up or conspiracy or both or something else? Um, uh, you mean COVID? Yeah. Con COVID. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't like the word conspiracy, but, um, uh, it's pretty clear when, when you've got real science, um, and scientists and doctors being thrown out, thrown out the window for want of a better phrase. Yeah. Um, it's, it's nuts. Um, so there is, you know, what I learned in my days in finance was when in doubt, follow the money. Mm. And it, it caused me to completely reappraise my knowledge of history. Uh, I went back, you know, after 
gleaning a certain amount of knowledge about how the world works. I went back and studied history through the prism of finance. And then I realized, wow, you know, all these wars and all these events that were um, attributed to other causes or just random acts suddenly uh, make a lot more sense. And um, the, the, the fact that there are cures for COVID, non-vaccine cures, and they're being suppressed. But they had to be suppressed so you could get all this emergency supposed vaccine stuff done. Yeah. Um, the the yeah. point about the point about finances is interesting. The point about money and the, the qui bono argument. I don't know if you're familiar with a guy called Dominic Frisby, but Dominic Frisby is a, a sort of self-taught financial writer, columnist, and, and and apart from anything else, stand-up comedian. So he's a man who wears many hats. Oh, and he's written an, an excellent book called, I think it's called Daylight Robbery, and it's a history of tax. And you think, well, the history of tax sounds like a surefire winner, but it's it's surprisingly readable. And he, he his argument would be everything important ever derives from, has some, some connection with tax. Mm. It's all about tax. Right. Well, so that's, that's that's a comparable a comparable view to I think to yours. Yeah. It's all about money. Yeah. Well, you know, I learned I I obviously <laughs> had a career in finance and then I came out and I became a um I didn't really call myself a venture capitalist, but I was Adventure a, capitalist perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Well I certainly like to travel. Um but yeah, we were doing a lot of investments into Silicon Valley in California. And what I noticed was the power of these vested interests was just incredible. I mean, there were sort of mafia-like corporate forces in most industries, which, um, yeah, you become more aware of if you're involved in a startup company that's trying to shake the the status quo, the ancient regime. How, do, how does that manifest itself? Is it you just get shut out of meetings and, and finance for ideas that might go against the big corporations? or Because I assume that if you come up with anything that's in, re- remotely competitive, they just buy you. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's that. Um, there, there is that path available um, to you. Um, and then there are other sort of darker um, examples. I mean, I, I can give you an example in the food food industry. We'd invested in a food company, and um, this, um, you know, we had some pretty influential contacts in um, in Silicon Valley, and through them, this gentleman that advised a lot of the CEOs. Of big food companies wanted to meet us. And um, it took us um, to an Italian restaurant in um, in San Francisco. And then after we rather excitedly told, told him about how wonderful our product was and how healthy it was, he said, uh, no, sorry, gentlemen, it actually doesn't matter how healthy it is. Um, you know, there's a matrix of salt and sugar, and we just need to fit it on that. Um, oh, the only important thing is the concept. 
And he said, oh, I love your concept. You know, I don't give a shit about it being healthy. Uh, and besides, I want you to team up with um, this big corporation who's not particularly known for being into healthy food. And then, then he proceeded to go on and tell us um, if we, he said, look, gentlemen, what, what you need to understand is we have these very high standards, health standards, food and safety standards in the US, but no one can meet them. So the reality is it's just a game of cat and mouse. It's, so it's a question of whether you get caught. He said, now, if you guys insist with your current plan of producing this item in Southeast Asia and you don't come through us, then you'll probably get checked uh, more at Long Beach when your product comes through. Now, if you team up with us and ideally you make it in one of our factories here in the States, um, you, know, you won't get checked. But, you know, we could have a compromise if you really want to make it in Southeast Asia, but you come through us, we'll, you know, we're off offload the product in uh, KL. We know a billionaire there who, who's got a secret way to smug, smuggle essentially the food into into Long Beach. And he just map, literally mapped out how the mafia worked in, in that industry. And, I, and I've had similar chats with other industries over the years and it's it's mind-blowing. So that's why I don't, I don't like the word cons, conspiracy. I mean, it's that the world is full of powerful forces. Um, yeah, but anyway, that's an example. That's an, incre <clears throat> that's an incredible example. So if, if you don't use the word conspiracy, w would you just mean corruption then? Or would that be a better <laughs> well, word? I think so. I mean, that's, that's the reality. Um, I, also, I also think, you know, that we... I think there's a tendency as well for people who spend a lot of time analyzing so-called conspiracy theories, they end up feeling quite disempowered because they think everything is decided in, in smoke-filled back rooms and at the Bilderberg Club or this club or that club. And um, I think for our own futures and our futures of our children and grandchildren we we have to realize that we actually do have a lot of power and um you can kind of talk yourself out of it yeah i guess, I guess the, the problem with that is if um if you don't think that that there is some overarching conspiracy you you will allow things to happen that you probably want to at least try and stop but if, if you're wrong, then you're actually just trying to keep the people in power honest. Like, I'd love there to be no conspiracy, and, and I hope that that's the case. I really do. But I think it's also worth being on the side of the argument that is saying that it's a possibility, because even if it isn't, we need to be critically thinking about what's going on and keeping that as a, po a possibility and not allowing politicians to think that they're going to get a free ride to do whatever they want. They will, they will be kept in check um, by people who are willing to look into what's going on. And sometimes they're going to be wrong, but, it, but at least it means that, that there are people trying to keep them honest.
Oh yeah, no, I hundred percent agree with you. Um, so to, sadly, to go to go to go back to your earlier point about startups versus established businesses, where we are now, is it easier or more difficult to to, to set up in as a, as a brand new venture? I think it depends on the industry. I mean, there's a there's a lot of leeway in uh, cryptocurrencies to, you know, and some people would regard it as a little bit of a wild west, but that happens in all new areas. You know, I, I was around it in the dot-com bubble working at Morgan Stanley with Mary Meeker and we, we dominated the IPO market and that was crazy. There was a lot of wild west behavior going on, but there were also some great companies created. And um, so, um, yeah, a lot of interesting things going on in in cryptocurrency. But, you know, um, some of the old established areas were, were the trickiest to break. So let, let's ask a different question then. If you had free reign and and no, money not realistically an object, what 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 type of business would you consider, say, starting or advising on um, as a startup today? Um, or maybe um, maybe crypto, um, blockchain companies. I think energy would be fascinating looking at alternative forms of energy or what some people would call free energy. Um, again, that's the space where they say and contacts of mine have said it's been suppressed for many, many years, but um, apparently that's shifting now. That would make a lot of sense because um, as we've spoken about before on the podcast, the technology for electric vehicles has been around for a very long time. There's nothing new about them. Indeed, there was an attempt by, I think it was GM, where they made a, an electric car that was extremely popular in California, and everybody wanted to buy one, but they shut it down. Uh, there's a documentary about it called Who Killed the Electric Car? It should be on Netflix. That's where I saw it. Um, so the technology's there. It's just a question of when they allow us to use it. And they didn't want to allow it at that point, which I think was the late 90s, um, 98, 99. And, and now is obviously the right time for whatever reason. But I personally think that um, it's clearly not the answer. The, the, the answer is going to be hydrogen. Hydrogen fuel cells seem to be the right answer. So I just wonder whether this is just a money-making cycling through exercise where they get everybody to buy electric cars and then they change them all to hydrogen fuel cells like 25, 30 years from now in the same way that they got everybody to buy um, petrol cars and then brought along diesel and then diesel used to be cheaper, if you remember, and then it became yeah. much more expensive. It's it's So it's a kind of like history doesn't, Repeat, but it rhymes. I think it's perhaps the expression. Tim's your man for those sorts of things, but well, the, the one I, the, the line I was going to use is is I, and I, Benjamin may know the the original the the, the source is uh, the future's already here. It's just not been evenly distributed yet. <laughs> yeah, that's right. William uh, William Gibson, I think, yeah. is the futurist that coined that. Um, yeah, I, I actually quite like that because you can 
there's a lot you can tell about the future already you get lots of glimpses um but um yeah i mean my friends have dealt with toyota up to the level of dealing with their um chief technology officer um they're they're definitely believing that um hydrogen is the future oh really okay that's interesting yeah there was a a couple of years ago, the Chinese were all out hell bent on, um, you know, the the old style solar panels, and um, I think there was an incident of a Chinese <coughs> leader visiting Japan, coming back, and they they started to take uh, hydrogen a lot more seriously. But the um, I think the Germans, the Germans, and the the Japanese are pretty focused on uh, hydrogen. So there's obviously a long way for solar panel technology to go because it's still extremely inefficient. But if they can inc increase that efficiency, it will make a huge difference. Maybe that's part of the technology that you're suggesting could be suppressed? I mean, it's, it's just a guess, well, obviously. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not an, an energy expert. I'm just sort of looking at bigger bigger trends but i i don't i yes technologies have been suppressed um for sure um i um have you heard of buckminster fuller bucky balls yeah um i think um didn't he win um didn't he have the most patents or something uh, anyway the guy was a a genius he was a designer but also regarded as a futurist and he wrote in his prologue to uh, a book called critical path which um must have been written at least half a century ago if not longer but he said that you know we already have these advanced um alternatives to hydrocarbons um essentially free energy uh, that's what tesla was working on um ways to connect to the quantum field um you know there, there's no reason why the marginal cost of energy should be zero and you know within a 50 to 100 years if we can get the politics aside we could be moving to you know becoming closer to a star trek civilization but it's it's greed and corruption which has been one of the barriers there was um Talking of Tesla, obviously reminds me of, well, of, not obviously, but it reminds me of Edison when he created the light bulb. There was a cartel within the uh, light bulb companies to make sure that they didn't last beyond a certain amount of time. They can make them last forever, but they decided to make them so together so that they all always need replacing. They would always burn out at some point just so you buy new ones. And there was a complete cartel with all, all the... Um, manufacturers to make sure that happened yeah i mean it's the same with a lot of home electronics i mean mobile phones what, what what's the the word um planned obsolescence uh, is the phrase yeah that's the one that's what i was looking for yeah yeah but um, at, at least with that you're getting some improvement supposedly potentially with the technology so you get a better camera you get you know faster chip or whatever it might be but 
if you're just saying I'm going to make this light bulb run for 2,000 hours and then you're going to get another one that's going to run for 2,000 hours just because we need that subscription model, um, then, I mean, that's that's like, that's I can see why they did it, but it's, I, I bet very few people realised that was what was going on. If only mm. planned obsolescence worked in the political realm. <laughs> yeah, that would be um, that be good. Well, I mean that that's that's the idea behind us having fixed terms, which is exactly what we should have in Western democracies. You should serve a term or two and then get kicked out of Parliament or Congress. But um, I, I wonder about that because. If you, there's an argument on both sides, because sometimes I think if you force somebody to stay there until they've sorted their problems out, they might actually do a better job rather than being there for a few years and then creating a mess that they can just hand over to someone else. But, but by the same token, you don't want a really bad leader to stay in power. You want to be able to vote them out. So there's, it's, it's kind of, there's no, no easy answer to it. Well, we accept performance-related pain so many spheres in the private sector but the one area where it's absolutely required is uh, politics and it's it's never never ever existed not in the uk anyway as talib says with politics there should be skin in the game yeah and there is no skin in the game in the old days the politician would be somebody that you would see on the street day to day and they'd have to look you in the eye and tell you why they did what they did and you could hold them accountable literally but Nowadays, obviously, that's not possible. Obviously, due mm. to scale, I can accept that. That's not necessarily their fault. But, but being able to walk away from from your decisions and you get forgotten about, um, despite what happens, it, it seems to be wrong. There must be like with corporations that you you can have, you know, clawbacks of your bonuses and all that sort of stuff. Why can't why can't we solve this in politics? It seems like such an obvious thing. Benjamin, do you think the, the political world could be transformed for the better on the back of the COVID crisis? Uh, yes. I mean, I think the whole world is going to be better in every dimension, but we're, sadly, we're sort of going... I mean, it's it's like the individual journey, the, the human journey, the odyssey. Sometimes, in order to improve ourselves, we need to go through dark nights of the soul. Mm. And we're we're going through a planetary dark night of the soul. It's a long dark tea time of the soul, as uh, Douglas Adams once put it. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I think the political system will come out better. I mean, I imagine, um, I imagine a society that goes back and builds itself more on the principles of nature. And localism, perhaps? Localism, yeah. Small is beautiful. The Buddhist economist E.F. Schumacher wrote the book years ago. Um, I think we've, you know, we're, we're at the end. This, this is, we're at peak command and control or peak industrial civilization. So whenever we have a problem um, or any issue, um, even genuine issues, we've always, you know, for hundreds of years, arguably thousands of years, we've we've resorted to centralization. Um, I guess America was 
for a period of time was an, an exception um, that tried, you know, with the um, federalism, tried to create a society that put freedom first and had these checks and balances and states and um, counties were given a fair amount of power. But I ultimately think power needs to go back down. It needs to be bottom up. We need to move to a more self-organizing type of system. Do you think the nation state can survive um, this mess? Um, I don't think the nation state will survive in the long term. But um, to say it's going to disappear in the next five years is be a bit probably a bit too bold but there's, a, there's an uh, argument i i find very persuasive and it may, may may not be correct but i find very persuasive which is one reason why europe and the quote the west outperformed the rest of the world since the medieval period is because of the competition that was inherent with lots of little fiefdoms all duking it out for economic and scientific purposes and that the basically the rot set in once you started to have the rise of sort of leviathan monopolistic nation states that became big state mm. cesspits yeah that makes that makes a lot of sense um so it's effectively an argument in favor of the free market as opposed to state 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 control yeah and and i think that so many solutions can be done at, uh, at, at a small smaller level and you can rely on replication as opposed to forcing people to do things. Um, I don't know if you know um, Frome in um, Somerset or Froome. I don't know, actually know how to pronounce it, but the, the um, a, a bunch of independents went in to stand for council, and um, they managed to kick out all the local uh, Tories, Labour. Liberal Democrats, and they wrote a book about it called Flat, Flat Pack and Democracy. And, and I met the mayor briefly. And they went out and they did some really innovative, creative stuff and, and cut costs, but made the society a better place. And, and a, a friend of mine that was studying the, the new economics, um, she went and lived there for four months to, to study it and um, you, you are starting to get movements like that all around the world did that experiment last did it did it persist I, I don't know to, today but the last time I was there a couple of years ago they had independence still running it and a, and a real really nice community feel you know they they host sort of events where the whole town show up um I mean, it's one, one thing I was conscious of. I met my sister um, a few days ago near King's Cross, and there's been a huge development of restaurants and shopping arcades and um, infrastructure around King's Cross St Pancras. And the night mm. with the night we met, it was quite it was quite balmy before it started chucking it down later. And there was a, a wonderful community feel, and it was like everyone was al fresco, drinking, eating, chatting, talking having a nice time, the sound of laughter. And it was it was like we'd briefly been transformed into something like continental Europe, which is a rare experience in London, from, from mm. my perspective anyway. And it was really wonderful. So I wonder whether 
one possible uh, outcome from this mess is going to be a, a much more communitarian um, feel to things. That so local communities will be, people will will re-experience the joy of living and knowing neighbours and all the rest of it. That that they some good can come out of this. Yeah, I think that that is is a one possible side effect. But um, I mean, it's difficult to it's difficult to see much good news at the moment. But that that might be that might possibly be one positive from all this. Yeah, I mean, we are we are still in the darkest hours of of this crisis and. Things are probably going to get worse before they get better. But so, to, so to that, to, to that, to that end, how, how do we, how do we, in as much as it's possible to write this ship, what, what can we, should we do, to attempt to? Well, I would, I would like um, to see people actually stand up for themselves and take responsibility. I mean it. That democracy is not only about um, having the right to vote, but it's, it's all—it's also about supervising the politicians. Because I'm looking at a—I'm looking at my—I'm looking at a Twitter feed at the moment, and we seem to be being outclassed by the French, who are no—they're they're no shirks when it comes to popular protest. But but then you have to ask: Is does does marching achieve anything? I, I think they probably need you probably need um, large scale non-compliance with mm. with things, everything from masks to vaccine vaccination to you know if someone wants to take a vaccine, great if they do their homework. And but I just I don't think uh, it should be forced uh, upon people. Um, but yeah, I think we, we need massive non. Non-compliance. So the scale of the scale yeah, of the, the scale of the coercion has been quite monstrous. Yes. So it might not be mandatory, but it's 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 pretty much there to the extent that if you basically make normal life almost impossible unless you get jabbed, that's that's mandatory in all but name. Yeah, I've, I've had friends calling me up from the UK, sort of almost in tears that. They they really don't like this vaccine. They don't think it's good for them, but they feel that they have no choice but to to take it. I mean, we so we we, are, we know we know of people who've got divorced over this stuff. It's it, it's, it's it's insane. So if you thought Brexit was bad, get a load of the implications and the social the the the, the wedge driving that is the 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 supposed vaccine, the so called vaccine. In in. Incredible. I guess it shouldn't really surprise me. People were getting divorced over, you know, things like whether the husband or, or wife were was voting for Donald Trump. So, <laughs> um, shouldn't surprise me. What well, What's incredible though is how how such it doesn't take many hours research on the internet to find about other solutions to to covid i mean we we, we had wealthy um affluent entrepreneurs hearing 
in the Tulum that were flying through, um, you know, connected to Silicon Valley, and they already had their cures on lined up at home. They got COVID, um, and I remember one one of our close friends came down with. Um, she thought it was COVID, and he he um, he dispatched something that. To, to her, I, I don't even know what medicine this was, but it, apparently in 30 minutes, it, it gave the body a, a blast. Um, the, the ones that they talk about is like ivermectin and hydrochloroquine. That's what Joe Rogan um, recently took. Um, but um, yeah, I, I I don't want to be too negative. It, it's we are in a dark period of human history but there um i do see a lot of light at the end of the tunnel um are you are you, I, I are you surprised I, at the the speed at which things are transforming that that things have happened over the last 18 months because it, it's it's now almost impossible to to remember what life was like before covid and it's only been with us since 20 2020 um, it's a tricky one to answer. So yes, I, I was absolutely convinced the world was going to go through this accelerated shift. Um, but that that knowing was at an intellectual level. Of course, when it actually happens, it's like, oh, wow. But um, I, I think things will further accelerate. We've got probably fun and games to be had in the economy. Um, you know, these massive trillion dollar injections of stimulus as they wear off, what will happen? Um, they're probably going to carry on printing money and asset prices will continue to go nuts. Um, but yeah, I think we've got fun and games on the um, economic side, more more disturbance internally. You know, the terrorists are no longer um, overseas, but they're in, they're, they're in government. Well, yeah, and government believes that, that, that any critical-minded thinker is now a terrorist. At the top of the show, you, you mentioned that the dark cycle could continue until 2025, potentially 2026. What do you think will happen in that time scale? And what will be the light at the end of the tunnel after that timescale? So what have we got to look forward to after we've been through this dark period? Yeah, um, I do believe eventually people are going to push back against their, their governments. I think it's already already started. Um, I... I see we're on the sort of edge of huge progress in most frontiers of human knowledge. Um, so I, you know, it's it's always going to be difficult when you're um, in in a tough period to imagine what life is at the other end. But it's it's just it's like always, it's always darkest before the dawn. Yeah, and we know this in financial markets because um, if you've been around for a couple of cycles. I mean, I remember calling up a bunch of friends of mine, mainly hedge fund managers, when the S&P hit 
666 uh, back on what March March 09 yeah and everyone was doom and gloom can't couldn't see an end an end to it and um, and in in a similar way people are starting to become very pessimistic about our future but um, I think we're probably going to see the end of empire um, a more multilateral system emerging you know America pulling out of Afghanistan um, 20 years later might might be a sign that we've turned the corner um, I, th- I think um, the, the US has, has been a source of immense creativity and entrepreneurship for the planet but the military machine has been a real blight on their history. And I, I think that um, we are going to move into a more multilateral world and um, perhaps a more peaceful one, ultimately. Do you have a view um, on the rise, of, the rise of China? Do you, do you have a view on the, the ethics or otherwise of investing in China? Yeah, um, I'm... My opinions on China, well, I mean, first and foremost, what I say to um, Westerners is uh, when they get very critical of of China, um, I say we've got so many of our own problems Mm. that we probably should focus on our own life. People in in glass houses. Yeah. I mean, just look at the way Julian Assange was, was treated for... Um, essentially being a journalist. And um, so, you know, what about our own free speech? We just let it die in the in the West. And um, China, you know, it's, things are, are never black and white. I mean, when, when I've been in China, for some things, you feel greater freedom than in the West. Um, what, what, like what? Well, if you're just making if you're just building a business and making money um there's a hell of a lot of freedom it's 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 when you start criticizing the government um that's when trouble happens and yes it is true freedom of speech has gone down under xi jinping since about 2014 and friends of mine in china um acknowledge that but um, they're they're not communists anymore. I mean, communism ended when they killed the the gang of four back in the eighties. And um, but is, is, is hasn't communism been replaced by crony capitalism? So sort of corrupted version of free market economics, where lobbying power is is preeminent, much like it is here in the West. Yes, um, to to a certain extent, um, I think that um, Xi Jinping is trying to push back on some of that at the moment. But it's 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 um, yeah, I I don't think we, we I think I think the American Empire or maybe the Anglo-American Empire. Um, has been a source, a greater source of 
instability and war on the planet in the last half a century than than China. And well, they know, seem to be making up for lost time now. Uh, in, I mean, would, 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 would you would you would would you agree that we're uh, implicitly at economic war with China now? Because that, that would be my that would be my suggestion. That the lock the lockdown alone is a Chinese Communist Party confection that's um, basically mesmerised the West. So we, we're basically committing Harry Kiri on our, on ourselves. Yeah, I mean we we took a whole a bunch of action where we kind of let the Chinese move ahead of us. I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that. I mean, I thought it was insanity moving all of our manufacturing and R&D out to one country. Um, you know, um, was it James Goldsmith? I think we spoke about this on the last podcast, but he wrote about this in The Trap. Um, which was written, I think, in the 1990s. Um, yeah, I think that was that was some madness. Um, and the Chinese have moved ahead of us in some really important fields, probably in quantum computing as well. But uh, yeah, you look at some of the the key industries of the future. China's definitely not the USSR. Um, but I do think there's a peaceful way to coexist with them. Um, but I, I, I think they're far more um, powerful now than most Westerners uh, know. I think um, intellectually they might acknowledge that China is an important place, but uh, it's the biggest manufacturing economy in the world and they've taken leadership in so many of these uh, industries of the future. And and the future is Eurasia. And they're playing, you know, whilst we blew things up with Afghanistan, um, the, um, the, the Chinese are been pretty intelligent playing the Eurasian game. What do you think we should be expecting in terms of the in this downward cycle? Um, what what type of things should we be looking out for? And are, is there any way to protect ourselves both financially and physically from what's about to happen? I mean, you you you're in Mexico, so that's I guess that's. A very drastic but realistic option, um, potentially. Yeah, um, I, I'm I'm here for a number of reasons, but mainly for freedom uh, and not to be part of this mess. But um, I probably will have to go back through the UK at, at some point. But um, I know, I know futurists around the world that were had moved to remote places of the world ahead of time um, in the places like the Pyrenees and um, a lot of Americans moved to Mexico actually and um, built bought, bought ranches uh, across the country um, but yeah what, what can you 
what can you do? I mean, um, I I think being in in rural communities is a slight advantage where you're more likely to be able to deal with local government and could, sorry sorry benjamin could you just repeat that because we had some rumblings going on over the microphone yeah um i i i took the view that that being in a remote area or in the countryside would be better than living in a city through these these challenging times um so that's one thing i've suggested um and um you know friends of mine that living in western democracies moved to mountainous areas for example I had a whole bunch of futurist friends who moved to the pyrenees um in terms of finan- financially um i i i don't know where you guys currently sit but um i do think the forces inflationary forces continue to build and central banks aren't going to back down from what they're currently doing and you've got broken supply chains and food inflation building for various reasons and probably weather shocks along the way over the next few years will add add to it so i i, I see a wave of, of inflation and probably the ultimate outcome of this crisis um, on the economic front it, it is, I think, going to be inflationary. Do you, do, do you have any time for the idea, the theory, that this is actually a controlled demolition of the monetary system with a view to bringing in central bank digital currency and biosurveillance and Chinese-style social credit management and things of that ilk? Um, could be. Um, I mean, certainly there's loads of white papers out there suggesting, um, cause well, one reason I asked the question is cause I, it, to, to touch on something we were talking about a few minutes ago in relation to what, what, what changes and what, what gets replaced from a personal perspective. I don't see how our political system can survive, um, the truth being revealed about what we're living through. And, I find it difficult to believe that either the Conservative or Labour Party have any future in the medium term. I would say that any political party, for example, that advocated lockdown, anybody associated with that party should be eliminated from public discourse. But as um, as we were speaking about on a podcast that may be released uh, before this one, but we're not sure, with um, Martin Cohen, what do you think the alternative will be? Because it's, it's going to be very difficult to remove the, the current thinking when they have the current, the current government or other governments because they have greater power and they're not going to want to give that up. And so who else is there to vote for? I mean, um, Benjamin, do you want to, have, do you want to have, a, have a crack at that? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't... I, I see some pretty radical possibilities for the West and I've been observing the general collapse of trust in all our major institutions for well over 10, 15 years. Um, and I would not, well, I've been, I've been very explicit. It's incre- it easily 
possible to imagine scenarios where there are that there are revolutions um, um, you know good good or bad revolutions but you know where the military patriots in the military end up taking over government um, or millions of people being mobilized on the streets I mean already what you're seeing demonstrations of a couple of million people in 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 London in the last few months um, so I see some pretty extreme out, outcomes because I, I would I would argue that there's a possibility not not necessarily a probability for sure but a possibility that we see a wave of localist grassroots insurgent political parties movements arising and so to, 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 to go back to let's say a I think a, a fair analog for what we're currently living through would be the late seventies which I can barely remember as, a, as I was a, a kid at the time but yeah. I suspect at the time people thought oh god we're in this you know we're tobogganing towards the you know, the grave and it's all awful and then Thatcher came along but Thatcher wasn't visibly the answer until she actually got elected. So it's, it's kind of cometh the hour, cometh the man or, or woman argument. You don't see the inciting um, change-making development until it actually happens. So there could be all yeah. kinds of things happening, but we, we, won't, you know, we won't see them until they've actually occurred. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, who knows? Uh, maybe this Reform UK, is that the name that the Brexit party turned into mm. uh, other third parties but I, I tend to agree with you I don't see much of a future for now the conservatives or, or labor unless unless you get someone like what Donald Trump did and completely hijacked one of the major parties but um, I guess that might be conceivable but I it's got to come from another a different source Something outside the system. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, would you? Would you? Would you? Would you have the appetite to get into the world of politics? Uh, you know, the day after after we um, voted to leave the EU, I, I I saw the madness of people's reactions, and I uh, for about a week I seriously contemplated going back to the UK and. Uh, standing for parliament but I, I think it's got to have very very thick skin I mean that's 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 really the issue isn't it that um, who in their right minds would want to be an MP the pay is sort of so so but not 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 extremely generous but the flack that comes with it, it's like who in their right mind would Matt choose to marry into the royal family only a only an idiot yes exactly um, I, I think that's another institution that's kind of dying in front of us. Do you think? Do you think there is a future for the monarchy once the Queen uh, is no longer uh, around? I, I I don't. So that's my as my cards put on the table. Yeah, that that's been my stance that that would be the the beginning of the end. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. I was sort of doing some. Uh, brainstorming on this the other day, but I wouldn't be surprised to see 
maybe Prince Charles does something a bit bold. And and maybe, you know, who knows, maybe you, you get someone like Prince Charles or... If he were to throw um, himself off Beachy Head, I'd, I'd support that. <laughs> well, I, maybe they, they will actually gracefully stand back, you know. I um I wonder, but I, I I do think you know it's an obsolete institution, and the UK is obviously it, it's symbolic of an old era and hierarchy, and for humanity to evolve to a higher level of consciousness, uh, we need our aristocracy and um, monarchies to to disappear. Let it all think. come down. Yeah, and I. I reckon in my my lifetime, definitely in my daughter's lifetime. Do you have a view on the monarchy, Paul? Um, not really. Um, I I I think that there is some advantage to having the tourism and the the feel good factor of a of a monarchy that doesn't have any power. Um, I think the traditions of the monarchy are su as such that it would be very difficult to embed the Queen's own um, stoic approach to life, which is what's required of a monarch, to mm. be transferred to the new generation. Or it'd be <clears throat> it would be very difficult to see how that could be maintained because of progressiveness... Um, in our society in general, and we're already seeing it with the younger the royals. Um, so, so I I think it will be difficult. Um, they're they're in a crisis point. If if not, um, if not because of the Queen's age, because of other things that are going on, they they're usually in the media for the wrong reason. So things like that is 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 uh, a little more than problematic shall we say and it's funny because in, in, in the if we, guys well the, if i just finish if we were to sure. if we were to um if we were to look at what benjamin's saying and say that we're going to go through greater hardship the if the have-nots increase then they will be increasingly looking at what the haves have got and at the top of that tree is the royal family. So I think there'll be greater pressure on the general pub public unless they manage that extremely well and somehow get behind the country and support them. So, and I don't see how they're going to do that. So, so I, I would say, yeah, you, you, it's a very good point. I hadn't thought about the, the Queen dying being the end of, of that era, but that's a, that's a really... That's a really interesting point. The more the more I, I look at what's going on, the more everything revolves. At least to me, we go back to effectively things around the the French Revolution. It seems like everything is driving us towards one of those kind of fin de siècle moments, a sort of a, a step change in stuff, and it is perhaps going to be quite violent because like i now just don't see a peaceful way out of this you you use the phrase the have-nots there's only going to be more and more have-nots now because the the the, the existence of the have-nots and the 
accumulated interest of the have-nots is just going to get broader and broader and broader because of exactly the issues around lockdown and everything else in this confected murderous farce. So uh, I'd love to be more optimistic and upbeat, but I, I can't see this ending in any other way than there will be blood on the streets. That's my personal perspective. And I say, I wish I could be more optimistic, but I, I'm just trying to be realistic. The monarchy doesn't have any power, though. So I think that's in some ways an advantage at this point because it's not like they've made any lockdown decisions. I think if they had, that would have been extremely problematic. But given that the way the political systems work, and if what you're saying is correct and what Benjamin's expecting is correct as well, the price to pay for the mistakes that they've made will be that they these parties will no longer exist. Mm. So that would be some some optimistic look at, well, next time you just, you know, think think again about what you've done. But but we could we should also acknowledge the fact that there are possibly a lot of people who agree with the way the government have, have handled things and think think they've done a good job. I mean, I know that's that's very very much alien to us, but um, perhaps not to them. And, and you know, everybody sees things in a completely different, the same situation in a completely different way. So, I mean, like, for example, today we've heard the news that um, vaccine passports are not going to be brought in in the UK, which is, I'm, I'm still gobsmacked by that and I'm really heartened by it. And I think that's, maybe that's an acknowledgement of what, what's been going on, that, that these voices are now still, starting to be heard let's hope that we see more things like that happening um because perhaps the writing is on the wall for these political parties and they 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 know that um they have been perhaps serving the interests of the bigger uh corporations but at the end of it they're not voted in by those people they're voted in by by the public of whom many have suffered or in the case of the United States, possibly not voted illegitimately at all. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I don't know a lot about um, American politics, but but somebody was explaining certain parts to it, and I think it is really difficult to get a candidate through um, because of the way the system is set up. It's like, and and you guys know infinitely more about it because I'm I I really hate politics to the extent that I, it just sort of goes in one ear and out the other, but. It's even if you've got a really good candidate, you can't vote on them until the last section, which mm. makes it really hard to to upset the status quo. So, as the phrase that I heard for the first time today, no matter who, who you vote for, you always get government, and it's mm. that, government always wins. Yeah. Government government always wins. So I've always thought that they they're sort of two sides of exactly the same coin. And everything happens that big corporations want anyway, because they're all in their pockets, mm. um, potentially. Um, but it, it, it's yeah. So so will there ever be true change? I would I would hope so. I would really hope so. I I think the answer, and I'll be really interested in what Benjamin thinks of this, is is potentially in technology, potentially in decentralized. Control, or well, if the word control doesn't really come in, but decentralized, trustless systems that can replace what we're relying on in terms of justice and, and, and politics. I think that would be a sea change. W what do you think of that? Yes, um, 
I think we have so many solutions now to all the crises we are facing and uh, as a species and governance clearly being one of them. And um, there's so many technologies that we can use. We could have, um, yeah, blockchain can, can be used for all sorts of things. And we have, you know, there's an army of academics and people working on new forms of, uh, of governance whereby citizens would get to vote on many issues like constant referendum um maybe um uh we have systems whereby you can either vote directly on different issues or you essentially outsource to someone that might be a, an expert in that field so say say um it's an issue around taxation or or the economy um you could either direct have a direct vote in a referendum or you have your go-to person who you think is pretty good on the economy and you you give him your vote to, to vote on your behalf but um yeah there's great stuff going on in in blockchain benjamin to what extent do you think do you believe there is a let it let us call it a great awakening occurring in terms of a, a a global trend towards engaging or re-engaging with a the a, a spiritual dimension to life do you have any sympathy for that view oh absolutely and it's been one of the most important forecasts i made and i i of course there was hope built into it but I, I think um, we could already see this rise of interest in everything from spirituality to consciousness, how the mind works, um, this interest in the mindfulness movement, um, the how Buddhism has crept into mainstream psychology and has really helped further, further our knowledge. Um, we've seen pilgrimage routes all around the world reopened you know the, the famous one was the um the camino de santiago in in uh, in spain which uh, there was when paulo coelho first wrote uh, a book about this pilgrimage route there was very few people walking it and now i don't know how many hundreds uh, i think it's probably 100 north of 100,000 people are walking it each year and this is happening all across all across the world um so yeah i do see a, a great awakening happening and and i think covid is accelerating that you know as people are facing these challenging times they're also going inward i think it's a line for i think it was chesterton that said when people stop believing in god they don't believe in nothing they believe in anything mm. um and uh, I, I just get the sense that there is, there has been a void in people's lives that mainstream media and popular culture and whatever else hasn't successfully been able to fill. And so there is that that would account for people looking for basically greater meaning in in life. Yeah, I think a lot of the mainstream 
media um, and channels um, is pretty soulless. But um, I think what we should also acknowledge is how many independent podcasters and bloggers and writers there are on the planet actually talking about really deep issues. Um, and um, I think that's very, very encouraging. The thing that the, I, I absolutely agree, the thing that, that gives me extraordinary comfort is that this, this seem, the, the rise of, you can't really call it social media, but alternative media feels a lot like, and I hope this isn't a forced analogy, it feels a lot like the, what I would call the golden age of pamphleteering, when you had the printing press was, it became established in Europe and in, and in the UK. And then you had an explosion of correspondence. You had an explosion of communication because all of a sudden anybody could print a, print a bill and just hand it out to passers-by in the street. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me like the, the rise of the pod, and Joe Rogan is probably the best example in terms of someone who's really broken through and made it, made it effectively back to the mainstream. There is a demand for this stuff because the mainstream media has palpably failed. I think it's palpably failed its its customer base, and it deserves to be replaced. And if 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 it means that you know a handful of monolithic platforms ultimately get toppled and replaced by thousands and thousands of sort of smaller players, great. Let a thousand flowers bloom. Yeah, that's. I think that that is what is happening i mean joe rogan is he, he gets more probably more viewership than cnn um and it's fairly obvious why people 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 like listening to real human beings have civil discord and and people speaking from their their hearts and do you think we should get joe on uh, paul yeah, I think so. Yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> He's been asking us to go on his podcast. I suppose we, I know, we could I've invite been him. Reticent. I've been playing it cool. But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have, have you heard him talk about how he got over COVID in one day? Yeah, definitely. Is this yeah. Horse deworming medicine. Yeah. Well, the, the yeah. funny thing is, I've been listening to Joe Rogan for a very long time, as probably you guys have, and yeah. it was really interesting to get. I've got, I've got a I've got a friend of mine who is um, is an Australian. And he doesn't believe in any any types of conspiracy theory. And that's fair enough. But he just won't enter into any discussions of anything that's against the mainstream view. And I know a few people like that. And they're, they're really interesting to talk to. Because you get to hear the other side of why they believe. You're what, such a forgiving person, Paul. Well, I can't. You, you are, you, I mean, you are a credit to the humanity. Well, look, I, I think... We we've always got to, we've got to understand that we could still be wrong, and I think in the back of my mind, as a as a trader and an analyst, you think I could be wrong, and at the same time, whatever you believe, you could still be wrong. So I I always think we are a product of 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 um, of what we believe, and on the other side of it, to to, to what we think is crazy, they think is. Um, 
you know, they think makes perfect sense. It it's it's it could be just like looking in a mirror in some ways. So well, as, as as Conan the Barbarian said, crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and hear the lamentation of the women. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. But anyway, he he sent me this message saying, Oh, Joe Rogan's got COVID. And I was like, Okay, yeah, I know that. And then he said, um, then, he, then I got another message that said, the horse dewormer didn't work. And I was like, what? And then, so I was waiting for, I knew he was ill, and I was waiting for him to go back on the podcast to see what happened. But in between, he'd put out on Instagram a breakdown of what exactly happened. And he said, look, I was feeling, I, he did a show, and then he, was, he went out drinking the night before, and then he got up the next day. I think he did another show, and he took it easy in the evening. Then he got back home, and he started to feel a bit dodgy. So he he went into a room of his house where he separated from his family, just in case. He did a test, was positive. And then he threw the kitchen sink at it. Now, as in his words. So he did a whole load of things, as well as using ivermectin, which actually, unfortunately, doesn't isn't a pro or anti-ivermectin thing at all because all it means is it was just one of a cocktail of things that he did. Now, if he just used ivermectin, then maybe there'd be a better argument for using just that. And that's part of the problem. We don't really know what caused him to bounce back. He is extremely fit for the, a man mm. of his age. In fact, he's extremely fit for a man of any age. Mm. And, and that may have contributed to it. But to bounce back within one day is extraordinary but what is also extraordinary is how the media just could not handle the fact that he a got got well so fast and b he's not he's not ever said that he believes the vaccines are a bad thing he said for certain people they that is a higher level of protection for them compared to you know no vaccine if they've got you know underlying health problems um and he's also said, don't listen to him because he's just a podcast host. You know, he said, mm. what, what does he know? He's, he gets drunk and, and, and talks shit sometimes. And that, mm. those are his words. And I think that's like what I love about him is he's so honest. And it's mm. only the experts that he gets on that are, are, are kind of educating him. But he, he has an amazing memory for stuff. But what I respect the most about him is that he uses his own body mm and follows the rules of, of what he believes in. So not only does he believe, believe this stuff, he's willing to put his own body on the line. And he, and he kind of, you, you really believe that he will do that. And, but the press still distort what he said. And so I think he said either jokingly or maybe serious that he's going to sue CNN for saying mm. that, that he used horse dewormer. But, mm. my, but my friend there has just said nothing about it now, of course, because... You know, the truth is there. These these journalists can just listen to his show. You know, why don't you just listen to his show, see what see what he's saying? But as we, again, know from a previous podcast that we've just done, all they look at is press releases. <laughs> so mm. they're not willing to do even, even just slightly beyond the superficial when it comes to research. So we've been talking, Paul, about having merch for the show, which we'll get to in the fullness of time. But yes. what I'm thinking is the, the most pressing need is we, we need to start thinking of some state of the markets umbrellas that will protect people from people's heads popping off over the next 12 months due to <laughs> cognitive dissonance <laughs> yeah um so 
yeah, no, no one has has. Um, I don't think anybody's reported that he got better in, in one day. I mean, that is extraordinary. Even Trump didn't pull that one off. He took several days. Yeah, I, I, I would suggest he was probably in slightly worse shape as well. Mm. Um, but you know, it, it, incredible, absolutely incredible. Um, but but he's had people on the show who have said things like, um, yeah, the the ivermectin story. You've got to be careful about it because it doesn't necessarily, you know, mean that it's it's a, a safe treatment. And I, I I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. What I do know is that that it is a, a on its own for other things approved and a and a relatively safe drug from what from what I've heard. You know, um, and so I would say if you if if I was all I can say about myself if I was in a desperate situation and really ill, I would want to be able to to take it if if my options were small and um and i hope and i'd hope to god that whatever they're developing isn't just another version of what we've already got for mm. you know for reasons of money um so the the thing is that you don't make a lot apparently according to the people on the joe rogan show you don't make a lot of money out of ivermectin and and therefore the the, the theory could be that perhaps the drug companies want to make a copy or, or something similar to it that they can patent and then make a lot of money out of it. But I, I, I just don't know the answer to it, whether it's true or not. But anecdotally, people are really talking about it. And we know for a fact that the media is willing to distort what he's doing and what has happened. We, we can see that distortion. It's right there. So whether it's lazy journalism or something else, it's definitely happening. Lazy journalism's like tautology. I mean, journalists are just, they just suck. <laughs> yep. Um, well, it was like um, when Trump did that infamous press conference where they, you know, you can just go back and replay what he said. And, um, and he mentioned hydrochloroquine, which is one of the other drugs that wealthy people I know have taken to... Um, Reduce even reduce their chances of um, getting it in the first place. Um, but um, yeah, if, if you go back and listen and then see what CNN put out um, suggesting um, Trump was only suggesting injecting yourself with bleach, he actually did identify some. Um, some cures which he then went and used. So Benjamin and Trump in, bounced back pretty quickly. In, investment investment recommendations, uh, Benjamin. So we're we're in a dark place, but hopefully there is light at the end of the tunnel. What 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 areas interest you personally as growth or value or how, how, however your investment insight is driven? Whatever your investment philosophy is, what areas are you looking at for? Could, could, could I could I just jump a question in just before sure, them because because sure, I, sure. I don't want to flip back after it. Sorry, Tim. It, That's fine. Um, just just on what you were saying there, Benjamin, about Trump, um, he didn't communicate it particularly well from what I saw from the press conference that he gave about um, hydroxychloroquine. Um, so. The way he described it was was quite odd because there was a few memes going around. Am, am I right in saying that? Because 
because he was saying yeah. something about flushing out your system and getting the light in there. Or, but it or could also have been it could also have been maliciously edited. To be it, fair. it could have been. It could have been absolutely. I but I I just wasn't sure because I again that was all I saw and I, I just wondered if he'd seen the whole thing and knew whether that was the case. No, no, no. I I, I did watch the whole thing and then I went back and watched watched it again and um yeah it, he wasn't particularly eloquent. He was basically he knew there were cures out there, but. But he winged it, um, and he didn't know all the details, so um, it was easy for them to distort further what he said. I see. Okay. Um, so thank you for that. So Tim's question about investment. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I do like value investing um, at market turning points, um, but. Maybe, maybe, maybe the question should be uh, as much as much as there is. What, what, what do you like? Is also, I because this is a conversation we have now pretty much on a daily basis in the office. What are the areas that people should be avoiding like the plague? Because that that might actually be a more pertinent question. Think because plenty of things can go right, but the 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 path to capital preservation through and after this crisis may well be an issue of sins of omission as well as sins of commission so what what should people be what should people be steering clear of with a passion uh sovereign bonds mm. um fiat currencies um i still like cryptocurrencies we had a um when bitcoin was above 60,000 um here in tulum i told people at the local crypto uh, club that it was probably going to have one of those violent pullbacks and maybe halve, and it, it did. What, what made you say that? Um, it was a little bit of chart analysis, a little bit of gut feeling that things had just take, taken, taken off a bit quickly and, and just the vibe again, that the people in the crypto community were just getting a bit um, sort of overly confident. Um, but um, yeah, it had a really nice pullback. In fact, I think, I don't know what Bitcoin is today, but I know in the last week or so it's had a pullback again. I, I'd be a buyer. Um, I've not Bitcoin's an easy one to buy because you've got Wall Street money flooding into it as well but there are um there's a post ethereum technology solana um, yes i've been watching that that's amazing you, do you do you have anything in solana paul no 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 i haven't um would, would you consider, would you consider uh, it? yes um yes i would yeah I, I i'm not afraid of any any particular uh investment um the, the the thing is, I, I I look at everything from a technical point of view, um, but from what I understand about the technology, and Benjamin could probably expand more on this, is Solana is able to do something like thirty five thousand to fifty thousand transactions um, a second, which is incredible compared to some of the other blockchain technologies that that just can't handle anywhere near it. What? Why is it that far? How is it? How is how is it that fast? I, I don't. No. Know, I don't know. I don't know, but that's why it's it's sort of burning ahead of um, of some of the other coins, and 
you know, th this is the thing. The, 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 every, as you've said before, Tim, everything will be made better and faster and cheaper, etc. Mm. in the future. And the first iteration of, of this technology was just proof that it worked. And now each, each person with foresight comes along and creates something even better out of it. Like, like in the beginning, we had AltaVista and Yahoo search engines, and then... Oh, you... my word, AltaVista. Sorry, <laughs> I've just gone back 25 years. There it's you go. extraordinary. Yeah. Netscape. Netscape. Oh, my God. Yeah. Sinclair ZX Spectrum. Yeah, 80 or 81. Sinclair oh, no. C5. <laughs> yeah. So... so so technology will these problems will be solved it's just a question of how and i so quite honestly i don't know enough about what is behind that technology it it is pretty complicated i think but these are just numbers that i've heard and if it's true um then then yeah it's got a bright future but but as benjamin said earlier is also a wild west so you you don't know i don't know enough to know whether that's actually true or not and and how you um and whether there's another technology that's just about to usurp it as well so well the, the health warning has to be that you know only 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 invest slash speculate what you can afford to lose but one of the reasons i find this really just so intriguing is is that it's a bit like venture capital or private equity investing to the extent that the this the potential gains are so huge that they almost warrant some some investment simply just because on a what if you know why why not yeah. basis yes so exactly. it has to be risk it has to be risk managed of course so yeah the, the 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 line i would always use is you know that diversification is the the the, the it's the last free lunch in finance but notwithstanding that i mean i i i i'm, I'm probably the only person on the planet that's managed to lose money on trading bitcoin on the way up and on the way down um but it hasn't it hasn't i i'm still intrigued by the whole thing and as a libertarian i i have to endorse the idea of having choice in multiple currencies i, th but, I think i think the other thing you make a good point there tim that the problem with these cryptocurrencies is you've almost got to not in the same way that you approach gold you've got to approach the cryptocurrencies and just leave it and say, well, if it's if it's going to go to zero, it's going to go to zero. Not that you'd ever expect gold to go to zero, but if Bitcoin goes to zero, so what? Um, at some point, if you buy, if you put a certain amount in enough that you wouldn't really notice whether you lost it or not, and just forget about it because it's, that's but that's position sizing. So that's, that's risk management again. Yes, exactly. Um, but uh, um, I, I, I'm intrigued by what Benjamin said about, I mean, we, we saw a top, you and I, around 20,000 and then the market corrected. And then we didn't really talk that much about it other than the, the general technology. And I, I personally didn't know enough about the technology itself. I'd heard blockchain and I understood what blockchain was and I understood that it could have been replicated by so many other coins and that's true because there's thousands of them out there. But what I didn't get was what you could really do with the blockchain technology later on. And so I, I now understand it enough to realize it is a bit like the dawn of the internet and and the dot-com companies. It's much more similar to that. Um, and therefore, there should be much more upside. But it is, again, a, a stock-picking stroke coin-picking exercise because you could have the next Google, but you could also 
you know, have the next boo-hoo. Yeah, I, uh, and I, I think you're right. It, it's tricky to say, you know, with something like gold, you could, you could have said, well, I'm just going to put X amount of money in gold and just and not look at it again. And I don't think you can really do that so much with cryptocurrencies. I mean, if you, I, I guess, if you put a very small position size on, but um, I think it, it's. One has to be abreast of the developments and the best technologies. I mean, it, if you're if you're a libertarian and you're you, you're buying a coin in order to be free from government surveillance and tracking of what you're doing, then Bitcoin is not the coin that you'd buy. You'd buy something like a private coin like Monero. Um, but the technologies. Are going to keep evolving, and there'll be newer and faster and better technologies, I presume. So it's um, it's not such an easy space to just sort of buy and hold. Yeah, uh, because things are happening at light speed. But but may but maybe um, but maybe if you were going to hold one coin, you could look at either Bitcoin or Ethereum. Surely, because I mean, the, I mean, I, again, I'd be interested in your view on this. But the way I see Bitcoin is, it's it's a bit like the art world in terms of the Mona Lisa. It's not the best painting in the world, but it's the best known painting in the world, and therefore it has intrinsic value just because of that. And Bitcoin may not be the best technology, but it's the best known technology. Um, so for that reason, it's it's sort of like Coke. Uh, it might not be the best drink, but it's the best known drink. And so investing in it um, has, it's not going to be a fast transaction type technology unless something changes, although they've got the lightning system that kind of sits on top of it. They may solve the problem that it's it's slow in terms of the number of transactions, but it will. it's still the, the number one coin that everybody talks about. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that assessment if there was one i would uh, i would take the risk of just buying and holding it it would be bitcoin and part of that is just looking at um wall street flows where it just appears that a lot of people are parking money into bitcoin do you think that's because of inflation or do you think it's because of the technology itself or perhaps a bit of both or, or something I else I think it's a bit of both. Um, I, I think there's plenty of smart managers that are worried about inflationary forces and the future of fiat money. Um, and they also know that the future is, the long term future is not going to be a, a central bank digital currency. I mean, our, our civilization is not going to be centralized in 50 years' time. Um, and if it is, we probably won't survive. We'd, we'll destroy ourselves. But like I said earlier, I, I think we're in a, a transition moment to what I call a, an ecological civilization, uh, an advanced, a technologically advanced ecological civilization, which it goes back to the laws of the universe, the principles of nature, and builds all its governance, economic, and design systems using the principles of nature you um 
you you talked about the um, you, you know the these technologies and you use the word higher consciousness, which has reminded me of a previous pod, which I probably shouldn't mention. But do you have any opinion on the quantum financial system? Um, you mean like using quantum computing? For we think so, yes. Yes, y- yes I, I believe that is the point of the quantum in the word quantum financial system, although it's, it's not been, to be fair, explained to my satisfaction. I'm still trying to get get information about it. And it's also associated with the words Nasara and Jasara. If 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 it's if it is about quantum computing, then yes. Um it's um it will certainly protect our data because uh we'll be able to encrypt using quantum computing. Right. In fact I mean this is what the um, the American intelligence agencies are upset with China about because the Chinese have got very advanced with quantum encryption and quantum com- communications, and um, they've got they've got channels in in China that they can't crack into anymore. Really? Now that is fascinating because I wondered when that would happen. I I also thought that that would be. That could be one of the weaker pillars of of cryptocurrencies. That that once you they have that technology and it's advanced to a certain point, they can effectively hack the systems. Would you would you agree with that, or do you think cryptocurrencies would be resilient to quantum computing? Well, they'll have to. Um, it works both ways, so they'll have to. The, the, the tokens and the, the cryptocurrencies will have to use quantum encryption to protect protect themselves. Yeah, but that's that's the whole point. But Bitcoin doesn't have that. Will it have to switch over to a new system? Or is that even possible? Or, or will will it just die? I think it'll be other other coins. Mm. Um, who was? Um, oh, do you remember McAfee? Yes. Who, yes, he died. Yeah. Passed away, yeah. Um, he was uh, he, suicided, I think. <laughs> it looks like it. Mm. Uh, it a lot of these strange, mysterious... It's a bit like the, the strange, mysterious deaths. It's a bit like these um, deaths uh, after a short illness that are popping up all over the yeah. place. Well, Matt McAfee, in his last three months, um, he did a podcast that's worth looking at where he keeps saying that he thinks Bitcoin's going to zero. And um, even if you don't end up agreeing with him, he does talk a lot about Bitcoin now doesn't fulfill the um, the intentions of Satoshi uh, because the NSA can al- already hack it. Um, governments can already track you and see what you're doing on them. On Bitcoin, so you know those libertarians that want to hide their money from government um, won't be using Bitcoin. I mean, that's why on the dark web everyone's using. Well, at least the data I saw as of three to six months ago was that seventy percent of transactions done on the dark web are 
we're using Monero. Uh, uh, Benjamin, I'm really sorry, but I think I think you're probably quite close to your microphone, and it's causing a lot of pops that are dipping your audio and clipping it. Are you are you speaking really close into your phone? Uh, I was. Is yeah. this better? That's yeah, better. that's better. Much much yeah. better. Thank you. So, so so I mean the whole issue of um, of Bitcoin being um, a, a you know the privacy issue has long since been um, disputed. I mean you you can track all the transactions. That's the blockchain is open for everybody. Anybody can download it. So I would have thought that that would, was already well established and not something that McAfee was. Um, you know, it's it's not it's clearly not a revelation, but there must have been something else that he said. If indeed we're saying that his death is suspicious, I mean, because I've I've heard I've heard that his death was suspicious from a few sources, but I, I'm not, to be honest, I really don't know why. Well, I'm I'm not saying that his death had anything to do with his opinion on the future viability of bitcoin um no 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 i wasn't suggesting that but but he's obviously said something that or thought something that that's upset potentially some dark force within the industry or whatever it might be because a few people i I know think his death was suspicious but i i as i say i don't know anything about it other than that yeah i mean he's he's been playing cat and mouse with the authorities for years um he's always had problems moving around the world um sounds like he was framed for a few different things and so um i don't know if it was anything fresh that he said um or whether he was already you know he's been on a target list for years because he was outspoken and doing things to challenge the status quo he, he, no, no he danger of that here happily. Well, what's that? It's being facetious. He he didn't hear. He's, he's Tim said. There's no danger of that here happily. Uh, well, I um, yeah, it's a shame. I think he was obviously had his idiosyncrasies, but um, I think um, what what is life without a little whimsy? Yeah, he had character for sure. I I just I find it so strange. Um, I, I have so much respect for people that just believe in the importance of freedom and the sovereign person. And I can't get my head around why people are so prepared to jettison all their notions on freedom. On that, especially on the left, I I um I remember the time where it was it it was voices on the left that didn't want war, um, were against all sorts of uh, issues, and now people have moved to this collectivist mindset and quite happy to impose. You know, if if they feel they have a solution, then they're quite happy to force you into the solution you you mentioned obviously this this the cycle i'm i'm really intrigued to know how you and and also the mayans may have come up with 
the cycles for which they use for prediction. And do you think at some point in this dark cycle that, that they will tell the stock market? Because it's, it doesn't seem to have any bearing on, on where prices are, certainly in American stocks, although they have been turning down very recently. I, I, I see the outcome... Um, I mean, when, when you've had hyperinflation in places like Zimbabwe, stock markets can kind of crash upwards, but you um, ultimately lose, lose your shirt unless you're in hard assets. So I, it doesn't surprise me that markets have continued to, to go higher. But... Um, They've not necessarily been the best investments. Uh, you know, you would have made the most money on cryptocurrencies. So, do do you think there'll be a correction, or 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 not? Do you think this it, hyperinflation will just keep it keep everything going going one way? I think you could you could get violent pullbacks, but um, I wouldn't I wouldn't bet on a crash. Being back in. Back in um, the last the last cycle, when the U.S. housing market c- collapsed in the 2005 2006, and took a few years for the, the the whole disaster to play out. But in that cycle, I would have, and I did short stock. Um, I'd I'd be very reticent to short stock. Uh, in in this cycle, I'd rather just hold, uh, keep out of fiat currencies and hold cryptocurrencies, land, and um, maybe um, I, I, if I was running a macro portfolio, I'd have been looking at agriculture uh, maybe as well. Actually, that's quite an interesting inversion of what we would normally do on the podcast because I think we normally ask people about whether they would buy precious metals and gold and then we'd ask them about cryptocurrencies but on this occasion it's, it's gone the other way would you also include gold gold and precious metals in your um, choice of portfolio I, I, I would but um, not um, not not as much as I probably would have held in previous cycles um, I just wonder whether actually we're, you know, I'm, I'm saying that we're going through a period of human history that um, is so vastly significant. It's as big as the agricultural revolution uh, of thousands of years ago. Um, maybe gold has had its time. I, I, I never really thought that before, but if you look at the price action, it's not really behaved as it should have done. And um, we've gone digital in so many aspects of human life. Um, and the art world, art world now is going digital. Um, that's another area where you uh, have probably made a, a killing is these NFTs Yeah. In, in recent weeks and months. And that will continue. I mean, there's going to be huge money made in... Um, and I I understand why um, 
some Bitcoin and crypto enthusiasts believe that the NFT market will become bigger than the art market. By the way, we're still getting a few pops from the microphone. I'm really sorry. It's it's it um it the problem is it dips your your voice down and then we can't. It, it takes it like a half a second for it to come back up. Um, so if you could just move it just slightly away from from the plosives, that would be really helpful. Um, yeah, sorry about that. That's okay. Um, so NFTs is a is a massive. Obviously, as you've said, there's a lot of money to be made. Um, for people such as uh, no, people like me who think I can understand new fads and I, I get some of it, but isn't art what you can hold in your hand and what you can hang on your wall? Why are these memes and voices and, and MP3s and and uh, effectively easily replicable, replicable um, pieces of work digitally replicable well, it's easy for me to say um, why are they commanding such a huge amount of money I, I think you know it's, some of it is going to be sort of the typical wild west craziness um, of too many buyers ch chasing um uh, an asset. So uh, I'm not saying there won't be any, you know, price distortions and bubbles. But um, why why could this turn into a multi hundred billion dollar market? Um, I think that when it comes to digital art, it's not necessarily just what's projected on your screen, but it, it could be projected into space, you know, into your living room or on the wall. Um, um, they could be 3D. Um, so I, I think we've, we've digitized so many things and we couldn't, at each turning point, you know when um, when the Koreans developed the MP3s, or when Steve Jobs held up the first iPhone, we didn't exactly know where what the outcome was going to look like. And I think you're going to see sorts of innovation in the art market. Yeah, I, I I think anything that brings people together and allows them to communicate which is ultimately what the better phone technology was allowing you to do and to share has an important place in, in, in human history. So for example, the previous, the previous, um, iterations of that was the, the telegram and then it, from it going from there to the telephone networks, which was amazing technology at the time, you know, to think that you could speak to somebody on the other side of the world. And, and so those types of technology, I, I, you can see as life changing, especially for example, the internet where you can not only communicate as we're doing today without even thinking about where you without are. Without even thinking. Without even thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, of where you are in the world. But, but, together with, um, you know, passing information at the speed of light, almost. And so that is incredible. But a piece of artwork is, the thing about art is it, it is subjective. 
And you, you've made a really interesting point in saying you can see a future for art that you can't put your fingers on, but you don't see so much of a future for gold, which you can. And I, I, I'm, I'm not sure I... I, 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 I would say that I think gold still has a massive uh, potential upside. It will just take a little bit of time before um, hyperinflation kicks in and, and more people realize that it, it's going to be a problem. I mean, I, I'm i not saying that I'd be zero in gold. I've, I guess it's the first time in my career I've wondered allowed have we actually now has it become a antiquated asset you know is it is it true that a cryptocurrency can play the role of digital gold and it has you know the aspects of portability mobility and um scarcity that gold has and it's more convenient and you don't have to um Carry, carry bullion around, or keep them in the, a Swiss bank. But we can have we can have a twenty pound note, and we can have a twenty pound credit in our bank account. They're the same thing. Mm-hmm. But you it doesn't, invalid, it doesn't invalidate the uh, the physical form. The the I would say the, the the rationale for gold is precisely because it has physical substance. Um, so things that I mean, this is, sounds like a luddite perspective, but. The, the downside with the digital realm is that if the internet goes offline, then you're fucked. Somebody asked that question, yeah. actually. Asked me to ask that question, and I forgot to ask it during one of the... Uh, we had some Bitcoin experts on. What happens if the internet goes down to you know, cryptocurrency transactions? Well, presumably you're stuffed. So right, I, okay. I... Um, I would recommend people to have some gold, um, preferably at least some of that portfolio where they have physical access to it. Um, you know, in, in wild moments of human history, I, I've met people who have gone through uh, tough moments of, of human history or they remember recounting stories from their grandparents where um, um, the only way they were able to buy a loaf of bread was um, um, with literally a gold coin. But the thing about silver is that it, if you're going to talk about uses, it's the best conductor of electricity. So ultimately, we'll always, if we're going to say we're going to live in a digital world from now on with electronics, you could use it for, for, for wiring, if nothing else, and it would be better than anything else. Yeah, I mean the industrial demand is for silver now is I, I think the supply demand gap is really tight. So I would um and there are a lot of new new advanced technologies using silver and friends of mine involved in um but know way more than I do about um energy sources of the future say that they can see all sorts of applications of, of silver so yeah I'd, I'd, I'd probably be tempted to have more silver than gold well can't we have both the the, the, the rationale I would say for, for gold over silver is that 
while it's useful, it, it, it's handy that, that silver has industrial uses, you don't want a money to have industrial uses. You want it to be money and money alone. Mm. Can't, it, can't it be both, though? As you it, can, but it can, but be, the, the fact that it has use value then distorts its monetary uh, utility. But doesn't it just... I, I don't understand how that works. How can it be less valuable because you can do more with it? No, I'm just saying is it's, let's say, more prone to uh, volatility because people are ah. speculating on it for industrial purposes. So oh, I see. In the yeah, same yeah, way yeah, that, yeah. say, copper is an industrial cyclical... Um, so yeah, yeah. It, it rises and falls in line with economic growth. I, I, I see. Whereas you yeah. want something that's just money good and that's it. I get you. I get you. Yeah, that, yeah. that, that makes well, sense. I, I think I, the way we look at this is we own both. We own gold and silver. And increasingly, we're allocating to commodity-related companies as well. So, um, I mean, if, if Benjamin would, would – I'm not trying to put words in his mouth, but I, I, it sounds like Benjamin's supportive of the sort of broad inflationary thesis, as are we. And so it's basically – I'm trying to think. I think it was Chris McIntosh. Again, he. Everyone else is so far ahead of us on the whole merch front. It's embarrassing, but he's got like short financialized shit, long real shit. Yeah, right. you, can, you can buy the t-shirt. We should we should consider that. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, it's 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 on the list. Um, yeah, definitely. And we're starting a new podcast, Benjamin, which um, which is just going to be us effectively just talking to anybody, non-financial and non-financial. But It'll be a book of satire on contemporary mores. Yeah, that. I don't know what that means. It's <laughs> <laughs> a Woody Allen mind. So. Right. <laughs> oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we, we we love to have whoever we want on the podcast, whether they're financial or not, but we get some pushback from people. Who, no, Joe Rogan, just wait your turn. It's like we, we, get, we get pushback from some people who want it to be more financial. So we we think we should just start a new one where we, we separate them out. But although Joe Rogan does a great job of doing his, his mixed martial arts stuff, which I never listen to, I always listen to the other stuff. So I, I, I'm, you know, I'm only doing this because we get, complaints it's the, it's yeah. the thing, this is the thing about finance and, and markets the markets are about everything really realistically yeah i, I well, can't exactly. think of an element of human nature that isn't involved and and you know intertwined with the, the business of investing i it's totally about, agree it's about human beings interacting with each other exactly so you can learn something from everything all Every, roads everything's lead, connected everything's, everything's connected. connected exactly I, I see that totally but yes i, I guess you know I I, I, I I can see the I can see the point though, but you know, um, but anyway, um, look, Benjamin, um, just one final question, if I may, um, sure, uh, about the, the I'm I'm sorry to to press it because uh, I'm I'm just really intrigued about the Mayan cycles and the cycles that you use because we've had I don't know if you listened to the podcast that we had on we had Akil Patel who talked about cycles. And he's made some brilliant predictions about where he thinks the housing market will go. And, and I suppose by implication, where the stock market might end up um, using his analysis. And I, he was looking at a, a 2026 sort of time horizon for, for this peak, which is not far off from what you're saying, basically, very similar. Um, but he he sort of went into some detail as to how he came about using those cycles, but I'm I'm just intrigued in what's behind your cycle analysis because you've mentioned the Mayans, um, 
on your own, you is is this like secret sauce that you can't talk about, or is it something you can share with us? The the prophecies of many indigenous peoples around the world. I don't know how they came up with their cycles. Some of them are astrological, um, which uh, is kind of interesting. I've even met well-known um, investors, actually, in respected fund managers who actually even look at astrological cycles, which is very um, controversial, I guess. But um, but history does kind of have its rhythms and, and cycles and, you know, everyone from... You know, a lot of top forecasters like Martin Armstrong, for example, would look at cycles of peace and war and um, and things echoing. You know, we most fund managers would agree on the existence of business cycle. Um, so I think once you start looking at the, the universe in terms of realizing its nature's full of cycles as opposed to things, phenomena happening in, in straight lines, in fact, I think Western, I think in the West, the way we're educated, we, we, and especially in our history, we, we seem to look at things in a more of a linear way. Um, and one of the few history, Western history books um, written by Western historians that talk about a cycle is The Fourth Turning, which I don't know if you guys read. I haven't. Um, How and Strauss, is it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think at least one of them um, is living in Washington, D.C. Um, and, you know, they talked about an, like an 80-year cycle that has repeated itself through British and American history and, and you know, goes through these seasons and that, we um, we'd entered this winter period um, that would last twenty years, and we're probably already ten years into it. It's a bit like so, this. Is, sounds a bit like Kondratiev long wave theory. Yeah, and it's interesting. You know, like when I studied economics at school, you know, they had like half a page in the macroeconomic textbook, which said, "Oh yeah, these lunatics that believe in these long." long cycles and Kondratiev was one of them but if, if you go back and listen to what um um you know he, he would speak all all over the world and um and he was invited to speak at all the top ivy league schools in in the united states um i know i know chinese um policy makers they um they look at cycles of, of history when when peering out into the future the russians still do russians have some pretty evolved futurists actually um i heard um looking at looking at cycles so um yeah and it looking at these patterns it seemed that we would have an intense 10-year breakdown and before coming out with the other end but the probably one of the best places to to look for guidance on the 
the smaller cycle would be the, the book, the fourth turning. Can we have that as your your media pick, or did you have something else for that? Um, yeah, I mean that's probably a as it's still relevant. Um, I think that would be a good pick. Have you have you written, just remind me? Have you written a book yourself, or are you in the process of writing one? I'm in the process. I mean, we, we temporarily we had it up on Amazon to to pre buy it, but. I um, I got a little bit of writer's block because things were happening. Everything that I, I was forecasting was happening in live time, and it got really confusing. Oh wow! Um, and and so I took a. It forced me to take a step back, which forced me into a looking at the longer term horizon more, which was great. And secondly, it got me to focus on um, more timeless principles. So rather than a book merely about what's going to happen in the future, it, it's also a book about how to approach the future and how to, how to navigate chaos. So there's quite a spiritual element. That sounds it. brilliant. I can't wait for that. Do, do I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a complete beast now. So you'll have you, I, I should apologise in advance. There's, a, there's an, old, an old gag about two two people meeting at a dinner party. One of them says, "What are you doing?" And the guy says, uh, "I'm writing a book." And the other guy goes, "Neither am I." Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I I should never have said that. That's such a, a mean spirited thing to say. I apologise. Oh no, no, not at all. A minute. When do you think it's, it'll be out? Um, with it, with well, the, this sort of updated version, I, I'll have my my draft finished probably in weeks. Oh, so really, fabulous, fabulous! It, it, are you work, I, are you working with an editor, Benjamin? Yeah, I've got um, I've got one, I've got one Dutch publisher, um, and they they also amazing publisher um, who really gets what I'm trying to do, and he. Are you at liberty to say who it is? Um, yeah, well, it's called the an acronym they use is Boom, B O O M. Boom. Boom. Great bear. <laughs> Fabulous bear. It's a logger, not a tune. Yeah. Uh, um, but um, yeah, we, we might end up teaming up with a, a, a bigger publisher. So. We'll see. Well, but I I feel my my job is just to get the thing into the world and definitely, sure. definitely. Yeah. So when when you've finished it, maybe you could come on our new pod to promote it because I'd love to I'd love to get a copy and I'd love to. There's so much more I want to talk to you about, like AI and and um, the the combination of of you know intelligence that the Neuralink technology that's going on and where that could lead us to etc um but i but i suspect we 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 should probably um we've gone over two hours so in in the interest of not using more of your time i think we should probably end the podcast but um but there's we'd love to have you back on and to t talk more about um you know where you see things going and especially if if you're going to lay out some techniques in your book that's even more exciting so um yeah, absolutely. No, I'd, I'd be delighted to do that. Um, I think that timing would be good and um, I'll have a lot to say. And um, yeah, would love to do that.
Excellent. Excellent. Tim, um, we've done two pods in one day and Tim, you said you didn't have a, a media pick, uh, although even though you did actually have one, but um, I'm, t- I'm guessing you haven't got one now, so we could just end on Benjamin's if you want to if you want to leave it there. I'm gonna I'm gonna insert one regardless. I just oh uh, you're I, just I, a I'm, superstar. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go down fighting. <laughs> so what one thing we've been watching uh, religiously for years is uh, American comedy called Parks and Recreation. <laughs> That's great. And it, it, this is available on Netflix now. Oh, right. And if you haven't seen it, you have to see it. Um, it's notionally ar- around a Parks and Recreation department in Pawnee. Um, in, I can't even remember which state it's supposed to be, but middle America, but there are, there are some just fantastic comic creations. My, my, my favorite is a, is a character called Ron Swanson, who's yes. the Austrian Uber libertarian of them all. Who's trying to destroy the system from within, destroy the government from within. <laughs> but, it, but the, 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 the peg on which everything hangs is, is a lady called Leslie Nope, who runs the parks and recreation department. And she's just the the uh, a bureaucrat and it, it basically it is a stellar cast including chris pratt who then went on to hollywood mega stardom it may be the funniest american sitcom actually ever made uh it, it's easily on a par with cheers and frazier uh parks and recreation uh 10 11 out of 10 wow okay i'll have to watch that I'm also looking forward to Matrix 4. Yes. I don't know if you saw the previews out. Shut the front door. Yeah, I can't wait for that. That should be good. It looked, The trailer looks amazing. Apparently the Wachowski brothers are now the Wachowski sisters. Yes. There's, who, who, who knew? Yeah, that, I think that's been going on for a little while. Um, yeah. Um, I, I, just, I just wanted us to get monstered on social media, Paul, so I thought I'd just stick some anti-transgender stuff out there just to round things off. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to have to edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of controversy in there. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's probably only one listener left at this point. <laughs> <laughs> um, My politically correct friends. Um, yeah, I mean, my so mine is going to be a Netflix documentary about fungi, fungi, however you want to say it. Um, fungi. Fungi, if you're Italian. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, completely amazing. Paul, uh, I, I hate to say this, but you should really get out more. I should, yes. <laughs> <laughs> a Netflix documentary about fungi. Oh, watch it and you will change your view. It is amazing. Oh, the gauntlet has been laid down now. Yeah. Oh, yes. I'll give you your money back happen. if you don't like it. No, it is. Okay. It's truly amazing. Truly astonishing. Um, What's it called? It, it's uh, fascinating fungi um, on on Netflix. Just just brilliant. Like the healing powers of certain mushrooms is just incredible. How the um, how the underground network works and how the ecosystem works and just everything about them the things that we just don't even think about it's just incredible it's absolutely incredible. This, this 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 goes back to stuff relating to rockefeller and the rise of the farm, big bad pharma and petrochemicals as opposed to natural plant-based remedies so there's yes. a serious there's a serious point to all this exactly that's exactly why i watch it because it's um like for example there's a I, I, look 
I watched it a little while ago, so I've forgotten exactly which mushrooms uh, are good for certain. You need to snort. Yeah, you need to snort. <laughs> um, but I think it's called the tiger mushroom that apparently could be Ooh, good like for the sound of that. Could be good for. I think it was Alzheimer's. So they got one called Gorilla Panic. <laughs> well, <laughs> possibly, um, but uh, it, I, it's it's seriously fascinating. Trust me, and um, and and educational and medicinal potentially so so yeah i i i've looked a bit at the science of of this and i agree it's it's really fascinating uh, a lot more than one would imagine in fact uh, um merlin sheldrake um rupert sheldrake's son did a, an entire that is PhD. a superb name that is an absolute merlin sheldrake yes yeah i can't believe that's a real person it certainly is and he's a He's a bit of a wizard. Um, wow, well, exactly. He, he sounds like it. Yeah, he, so he's written a book on uh, the fungal internet as well, as some people call it. I, I forgot what the book title is, but... Oh, no, I know. It's called Entangled. Uh-huh. Um, and it's a, it's an amazing book. So um, if if you watch this um, documentary and want more details, I'd highly recommend his book, Entangled. Fantastic. You know, you know about everything. I suppose you have to do if you're a if you're a futurist. You've got to have a an eye on every single area of like technology and and, and nature because you never know where the breakthroughs are going to be. I try and keep you know, broad broadly informed, but um, yeah, a lot more. Uh, we didn't we didn't even speak about plant medicines as part of this shifting consciousness that's happening around the world. So um, we'll, we'll fix it in post. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Talk about that next time. Definitely, definitely. Please, um, I-, I know you're more in contact with Tim, so please hit Tim up as soon as you're you're ready to come on, and and it's done. I'm really, I'm already looking forward to it. And just remind uh, listeners where they can get more information about w- what you're up to and and your thoughts um, and your Twitter handle. Yeah, I'm not so active on uh, Twitter. Go on, I, I, go on, 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 go on. Yeah, my handle's English Futurist on Twitter. Um, but most of my, the best place to go for details is my website, benjaminjbutler.com. Fantastic. Well, there's, again, a, there's, a, there's a blog there. Excellent. Well, we'll put that in the show notes as well as all the links to the books and media that we've mentioned. Just to say thank you for giving us so much of your time. It's just literally zip by as far as I'm concerned. I could double this, um, but we will save it for the next time. And, um, you know, all the best with finishing off the book. Thank you. Yeah, really enjoyed chatting. Uh, have, a, have a great evening, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Benjamin. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye now. All right. Bye-bye. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do your own research or contact a professional advisor.